When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to Blue Jays Nation Radio with Cam Lewis and Tyler Uremchuk, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts. Welcome into episode two of Blue Jays Nation Radio. I'm Tyler Uremchuk. He is Cameron Lewis. Find him on Twitter at Coom, where your bio, what's your bio right now? It, Big they time all, dumbass. Yeah, that's fantastic I stuff. I also just recently changed my profile photo. Yeah, I did. did. You, you like you, it? I actually, I do like it. I have questions about it. So what? did you just go do a photo shoot in a park in a Vlad Guerrero jersey? No, we, we filmed the, me and my roommate filmed a little season opening video with the, um, uh, the Diddy I'm coming home song. Cause you might be too young to remember this cause you were born in fucking 2007, yeah. but the Jays ahead uh, of the 2010 season when they were really bad, um, I remember they that. made their little intro video. It was I'm coming home and it just shows all the guys at like spring training looking sad. And they're just like, <laughs> they've forgiven my mistakes. And it's like, Aaron Hill and Ricky Romero, Adam Lynn looking emo. And I don't know. And then we just tried to like recreate that. And one of the clips was me hitting a dinger. And then I just took four screenshots from it where I thought I looked like a cool guy. Good stuff, Cam. Um, all right. I look like a cool guy. I, I think you look interesting. What do you mean? Interesting. What does that mean? I just, I was interested for the backstory and how you just had a bunch of pictures of you in a Vlad Guerrero Jersey and what looks like, a random rundown little league field in Toronto. I just yes. wanted to know how that and all played also, out. And also to specify, it's a Vlad Guerrero senior Montreal Expos jersey. Yes. A yes. Mitchell and Ness jersey. It's very, it's cool. Oh, it's authentic. You threw Mitchell also, you and said Ness you were going to wear your, you said you were going to wear your Tim Lincecum jersey today and you're not wearing it. Oh, you're not wearing your Tim Lincecum jersey. No, I'm wearing my Dodgers jersey. Yeah. I, uh, the Tim Lincecum jersey is actually in my closet, but I do own one. I'm a big Tim Lincecum fan. Okay, anyways, um, this opening <laughs> series for the Toronto Blue Jays, one of the teams in that series is, was projected or expected to run away with the AL East. The other team was missing arguably their best player or one of their best players. And uh, it, it'd be pretty hard to tell which team that was just going into that series. Cause the Jays, man, they played unbelievable. I thought that was three pretty good games of baseball against at least to start the season against a team that, I mean, maybe you'll be fighting with for the rest of the year for the top spot in that division. Yeah. The Yankees are supposed to, they're supposed to, they're supposed to win the AL East by a healthy margin. Like yeah. it's assumed that, Many projections have the Yankees being the number one team in the American league, not just these, but the league and going to the world series. So it's a big uphill climb for the blue Jays to win this division. I think most of us expect or hope the blue Jays will make the playoffs, but I think most of us are realistic and think that will end up being a wild card spot. 
But the Blue Jays this weekend really proved a point. Like they rolled into Yankee Stadium, took two of three, despite having their second and third best starting pitcher injured. And they, you know, they went ahead and did that you know, the winning the Ryu game off the hop. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. That's your ace. But then coming out in game three and winning that game with TJ Zoic, who's what your number eight starter yeah. is that's, that proves a point. Like the blue Jays played very, very well this weekend. And I think they've got Yankee fans spooked. I saw the one uh, tweet that Blue Jays Nation uh, quote tweeted where a guy was just like, this Yankees offense has holes in it there, whatever. And it's just like absolute panic after one weekend. And here we are as Jays fans, absolutely loving it. You mentioned TJ Zoic, four innings, just uh, three singles allowed, one walk, uh, only the one strikeout, a guy who pitches to contact. He talked about that a little bit after the game uh, as well. But he came in and I thought he just did a good job of avoiding trouble if that makes any sense like he didn't go in there and really hang anything that the Yankees could just feast on it was just like a nice clean outing from a guy like just keep it simple because like you said he's their eighth starter he's not a guy who's going to win you a ball game but he did a great job of not losing them that ball game yeah they did they did everything right with Zoic here like the defense was really on its toes like Semyon and uh, Bo Bichette had that wicked good double play I think it was Aaron Judge who grounded into it. And then there was also a huge line drive again off of judge bats. I think that Semyon grabbed second, some good defense there. And I think also Charlie Montoyo did the smart thing by pulling Zoic after four. Like I think more often than not an old school manager would want him to go through five so he can get the W, Mm -hmm. but you also just, you got four scoreless innings out of Zoic and that's all you need. Like they knew who they had in the pen. They knew who was ready. And that was the game plan. Like they, you know, they didn't bother stretching it. They didn't take a rest. They didn't let, you know, Zoic face DJ LeMayhew or whoever for the third time. They pulled the trigger and they've executed the right move. So it was all in all, like just just good executed ball game. The other two games in this series, like let's go back to opening day here, just while we're recapping things. Ryu was solid, what you'd expect, kind of like you said. They got themselves out of a lot of trouble at different points. I think back to, you know, Biggio throwing out the potential winning run at home plate. They had some double plays of one of them, I believe, with the bases loaded as well. Like they got out of some trouble in that ball game. But in extra innings, it's Randall Grichuk coming through with a really big hit. And then the arrival of Julian Merriweather that had everyone absolutely giddy for the next like 24 to 48 hours. And still now after watching him in game three. And that's actually where I'm going for my uh, one big story from the last week. Brought to you by twigandberries.ca. They have a new look website, and I think you should go check it out. Uh, They're also having their biggest sale ever right now, up to 80% off their very own brand of nutsack underwear, twigandberries.ca. Promo code NATION15 gets you 15% off, Cam Lewis. My big story is Julian Merriweather. He looked absolutely unreal in both outings. A guy who was hitting 100 on the gun in game three, and his changeups dropping down to like the low 80s. It was just insane. And he's arrived and it looks like he is their closer. Is that fair to say? I don't know if I'll name him the closer just yet because we talked about this in the first pod. And I think um, there's a lot of value to be had with a reliever who bridges the gap between a Zoic or an Anthony K or a Thomas Hatch three, four innings start in the back of your bullpen. I think Merriweather can do what he does for two innings or maybe three. And he could end up being that Andrew Miller. So that's why I think it'll end up being Romano in the ninth inning. But 
I mean, I don't know if Merriweather keeps doing that, then maybe you just keep him in the ninth inning role. Like he doesn't seem to be rattled or nervous at all. Like, you know, first game at Yankee stadium, there's fans in the seats. Like they're making noise. It's Yankee stadium. And he was, you know, ice cold and he just fucked him up. And then again on Sunday, just fucked him up. Like that's sick. He looked unreal. So I, I mean, if he maintains the ninth inning role, then I'd, I'd be into it. Uh, my favorite part of his appearance on Sunday was last batter, Gary Sanchez. He rips on past him like hundred miles an hour. And the last pitch of that game, I believe he shook off Alejandro Kirk because he wanted to just blast another yeah. fastball right past him. And it's like, man, there's something to be said about the swagger of a closer who can yeah. not only throw a hundred, but he's just, he's not afraid of anyone. Gary Sanchez had a good series. Gary Sanchez had a couple of home runs. And yeah. Merriweather just did not give a shit. He just reared back and let that thing go. Um, he was my big story here. I, I think this is a guy I'd be real excited to see what he could look like in like two or three inning stretches. But no matter what he ends up doing, it's looking like he's going to be a contributor this year. So before I get into my big story, so this is really yeah. funny. So on the BJN account, I went and I found an old tweet from Shai Davidi yep. uh, back from 2018 when the Jays traded Donaldson. So he says... GM Ross Atkins says player to be named later in Josh Donaldson deal is set, not contingent at all on JD's health described him as quote, a near term prospect that will impact our major league team in a significant way. And all the replies are like such a joke. If it's Merriweather, 27 year old guy in triple a this and that. And then it turns out that like, they're totally right. This guy in a significant way is now impacting the team. And none of us thought this was going to happen. None of us. No. Nope. Yeah. It's, it's one, again, one of those moments where this front office is just like, there was, there that was, was a hell of a deal. Like yeah. they knew they saw something clearly. I don't think they, like, maybe you get a little lucky, but I don't think they got overly lucky in this. Like they clearly saw Merriweather as a valuable piece. Yeah. That's, that's their guy too. Like I'm pretty sure Merriweather, he's a bit older. I think he's 29 now. So he would have been drafted in, I'm just pulling him up here. He would have been drafted. Yeah. 2014. So that's, that's the Shapiro Atkins front office. Like they drafted him. Like he's a guy they know. Yeah, and then that's a good he was broken down and they, you know, they grabbed him and damn it worked out. And it's funny because like I said, like I was pissed when they made that trade. I was furious. Like I didn't yeah. even think they should give a Donaldson a long-term deal because I thought, okay, this guy's probably broken, but I was like, qualify him and get the fucking draft pick. Cause it's going to be better than this 28 year old fucking armless scrub in triple A. And it turns out now it's everyone's favorite blue Jays pitcher all of a sudden, which is it's just funny how this shit happens. Yeah, it is good going back. I, I went back and saw that one reply where the guy's like, what the fuck? This is so soon. Someone already has tagged like old takes exposed. Um, that's so good. Oh, man. Um, all right. Who's your uh, or what's your one big story of the last weekend? My big story, and this kind of pertains to what's going to happen next week, I guess, depending on when he comes back. But so the expectation is, is that George Springer is only going to be out for the first six games of the year. He's going to be there on Thursday when they open, they do the home opener, the quote unquote home opener in Dunedin. That's the expectation. So who is going to be the odd man out of this lineup when um, Randall Grichuk has been arguably the team's best hitter thus far. And everybody was ready for Randall Grichuk to spend the entire season on the bench this year. And he is showing very clearly that he doesn't want to spend the season on the bench because he's hitting everything and hit a dinger on Sunday, hit the go ahead double on uh, opening day on Thursday. Like, he looks focused. He's, he's looks good at the plate. So like, what do you do? Where do you go? I mean, we don't have to answer that right now, but that's, that's kind of what I'm thinking about. Like maybe the, 
maybe the odd man out is uh, BGO at third base. He's not, you know, hasn't looked good at the plate thus far. Maybe you give Vlad a crack at third. What else are you doing with the rest of the lineup then? So like, if well, I'm Vlad... thinking, so Springer comes back, toss him in center. Mm-hmm. You keep Gurriel in left for his arm, comfortable there. Put Randall at right, put Teoscar at DH, Rowdy at first, Vlad at third. That's interesting. I, we can get into Biggio a little here. Like it was a not great, a rather ugly opening, opening series for him. But do you uh, one for 12 with, I think it was five strikeouts and no walks. That's like, you don't often see that from Biggio at all. Like he doesn't, he doesn't have stretches like this ever. Like even if he's not hitting, he's getting on base with walks, but they were pumping him with fastballs and he was not catching up. And that's a little bit of a worry. Yeah, I I just feel like I, I'm not sure if I want to build a lineup around like sitting Biggio for like maybe more than one game, right? I, I just think, and also he's going to get a chance to bounce back against Texas. We're going to get into that matchup uh, coming up towards the end of the podcast a little bit. But like for me, he's a guy who I know he's still relatively young and inexperienced and all that, but he's maybe earned the chance to play through a slump yeah, a little bit. So I, I, I'm not sure if I pull him out yet, but the idea of what to do when Springer's back, man, like it, it's really, really interesting. Like, unless you're just going to be committed to always DHing one of those four outfielders, yeah. and like it could mean obviously a lot less playing time for someone like Rowdy Telez. I think that might be what I would do because Telez didn't look great either. Um, he doesn't so, have the track record that BGO has, obviously. Like, you yeah. can't be, to be fair to BGO, though, yeah, it was an ugly series, but you can't be sitting him and keeping Rowdy in like Biggio's the, you know, a guy that's had a much a better track record as a major league player. Right. Like, yeah. So would it be fair to say that maybe the expectation is that one of the four outfielders is probably just going to be DHing on a more regular basis, whether it's Oscar or Gurriel or yeah, I'd say we see Springer DH quite a bit off the hop here because, you know, he's dealing with an injury coming back. Like you don't necessarily want him in the field every day. And yeah, why that. rush him, right? And like yeah. their schedule is pretty intense here off the bat. Like they pretty much, they don't have a day off until... 19th, I think. Yeah, the 19th. You're right. That is the next time they have a day off. So like, even as we're talking on like single game sample sizes of like, oh, what do you do with this guy? What do you do with this guy? Like everyone's going to play a pretty good amount over the next however many days until the 19th. And also when you play that much guys get nicked up. So I, I, I don't think playing time is going to be too much of an issue right now. And I think we laughed about this on the last podcast. It's one of those things that during the off season, you're always like freaking out like, Oh, when, where's this guy going to fit? How many at bats can we get this guy? What are we going to do here? And it's like, man, a, no one's ever not health. No one like they're never fully healthy at all times in the year. Like there's going to be injuries you have to deal with. And also like scheduled day offs, all that stuff. Like, a good manager makes that kind of stuff just work out. Um, speaking of manager, what do you think of Charlie Montoyo in, in opening weekend? Was there anything that maybe you didn't like? I, you mentioned the Zoic thing, pulling him at the right time. I agree with you. That was an astute move. Uh, what else did you like from, from Montoyo or maybe not? Yeah, like? If you had asked me after opening day, I'd say I wouldn't love it because he had Danny Jansen bunting. That was kind of ugly. I don't love that. We saw that a lot from Charlie last year. Charlie likes bunting. I don't like it. Uh, Danny Johnson bunting with two strikes. Like, come on, that's dumb. But uh, the other thing I didn't love, I wasn't, I didn't love having Joe panic in the lineup as a, uh, as a designated hitter. Yeah. (laughs) That was weird, but it worked out. Joe panic got on base. He takes, he takes pretty good at bats. Okay. Fair enough. He wanted to get a lefty in and I guess he's, 
got more pedigree than Jonathan Davis, though Davis might have more upside, whatever. Uh, I think Charlie handled the pitchers very well this weekend. Um, like I said, pulling the trigger with, um, uh, with Zoic quickly. Like I, I was kind of worried that Charlie would let him go five and that it would burn him, but he didn't. So that's great. I thought it was a pretty well-managed weekend all around. Like in the game they lost, like that wasn't on management at all. That was, you know, just, they didn't hit much. The Dolies had a rough go. Stripling had a pretty uh, start. So whatever, like, I don't know. Can't complain there at all. Yeah, I mean, hard to complain when you win two out of three at uh, Yankee Stadium. We joked a little bit there. But some Yankees fans who are uh, maybe feeling the heat a little bit, even though it's only been three games. And I want to dig into that matchup a little bit more. We're going to be joined by Joshua Deemer from Pinstripe Alley now on Blue Jays Nation Radio. But before we get to Josh, you talked about it. They're going into the home opener in Dunedin that's coming up or whatever. That ties in nicely with the launch of our first ever piece of Blue Jays Nation gear. It's available nationgear.ca. It is a project we are teaming up with Viridian Global on Dome Sweet Dome, Coomzy. It is a good-looking shirt. It's available now, $32 Canadian. Um, basically, support the boys and support the dome, even when the team's not there. Sharp-looking shirt, available on nationgear.ca. All right, let's get to our guest this week on the podcast. Like I said, it's Joshua Demert from Pinstripe Alley. Josh, appreciate you giving us some time here after that opening weekend series between the Jays and Yankees. Now, let's just start your your kind of general takeaways from the first three games of the season from a Yankees perspective. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's three games. I don't really get that worked up about the season until about May. Um, but offense doesn't look good. That's about it. Um, I'm, I'm mostly fine with the pitching. The Jays have a really great lineup and I think they scored nine runs in three games. So if you can hold a team like that to that kind of, that kind of offense, that's really good news. Um, but boy, the offense looks pretty sleepy and everybody is healthy. You know, judges in there, Stanton wasn't in today, but he was in the previous two days, DJ's in there. So the offense is going to wake up. It's just like how long before. Uh, someone gets hurt or how long before, you know, something goes wrong and uh, then you don't have that full offense anymore and yeah, whatever. So what are you, what are you looking for then in terms of a turnaround? Like, is this a group, like you mentioned it, like no point getting upset about the first three games of the season, but like, could you see this becoming a long-term issue with the offense? Or do you think this is a group that has the tools and has the ability to just quickly bounce into a, into a run here? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I think like the, I, I, I'm loath to be like, look at the names in the lineup, but look at the names in the lineup. It's Aaron judge and Carlos Stanton. And you know, um, if, if there were a couple things that I, that I notice just very early in the season is I, I haven't done like a full analysis of the strikeouts, um, and the contact, but that would be the one thing that I, worry a little bit about that um, the Yankees have had a lot of criticism for having a very strikeout heavy offense. And I am a little bit worried, particularly today. I thought um, looks like they're pressing for contact. They are trying really, really hard not to strike out. And if you do that and all you do is hit a weak ground ball to Kevin Biggio, that's not, that's not any better than striking out. It's really not. Or if you are Aaron judge and you hit into a double play, that is objectively worse than striking out. So um, that would be the one thing that I would be concerned of is just 
they get they they feel pressured and they start to to really try to do too much at the plate. Um, a guy like Aaron Judge is at his best when he strikes out 200 times a year, as long as he walks 100 times and hits 50 home runs. Um, if he starts to press to just to try to put the ball in play, that's not really the best version of himself. So one thing that I kind of wanted to ask, because I think it's always interesting is, you know, as Blue Jays fans are, you know, any kind of fan, we're all kind of generally in our own bubble. You know, we talk to other fans of our team about the team and we obsess about the same issues, but as a New York Yankees fan, what is your thought on the Blue Jays right now? Like how, how do you guys, how do you guys view this team? Like, are you intimidated by the Blue Jays? Did that, did that change at all this weekend? Does it, did, 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 did this, the Jays winning this opening series change your perspective at all? Or do you still think the Yankees are very likely to run away with this division? So I'm an atypical Yankee fan in that I, I, I live in Canada and uh, obviously there is a monopoly on baseball coverage. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I, I think very highly of the Toronto Blue Jays, especially their offense. Um, I picked them to finish second in the division. I believe I picked them to be one of the wildcard teams, I think. I have to double check that, but um, I think that they're, they're a very talented offense. I think they're a very talented defense. I wonder if the rotation, I mean, nothing that I'm saying I'm sure is new to you guys, but I wonder if the rotation is as deep as they really want it to be. Boy, the bullpen looks good though. Um, again, you know, guys that I, you have not heard of all of a sudden are throwing 97, which is a trend around baseball broadly, but um, Merriweather coming out and throwing 9,900 past guys, like just straight gas past guys. Um yeah. And I mean, like the, I think that the Jays are, are a team that is, I think something that we're seeing maybe a little bit more frequently in baseball, you want to say that they are a year away that like, Oh, like there's, there's one more year we've got to get, you know, let's get Vlad 500 at bats and Bo 500 at bats get in the same lineup. Let's get another pitcher, yada, yada, yada. And then they kind of arrive a little bit ahead of schedule. Like, I think like the Astros were kind of like that in 2017, um, the Cubs really kind of arrived in 2015 and a lot of people thought that they were maybe a year away. The White Sox are kind of like this as well, where just you just stack enough young talent on your roster and enough of them hit. And all of a sudden you have a, a team that is a few steps ahead of where you thought. Um, and they're picking a really good time to move because I think the race took really significant steps back. Um, and I think certainly, you know, Boston, I don't necessarily think is a terrible team, but it's a pretty boring team and Baltimore is in the middle of a, of a pretty significant rebuild. So outside of the Yankees, the division really is, you know, the Blue Jays can make a lot of moves and, um, yeah, I, I, as far as intimidated, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't get scared of <laughs> grown men on my TV playing baseball. It's just not the way that I interact with the sport, but they are like. The other thing about the the Blue Jays that I that I like is they are fun to watch. There are a lot of baseball teams that are very good and are very boring. The Rays are just dull oh, yeah. to watch oh, yeah. because Awful. it's just one Awful. random pitcher that you've never heard of striking a beat. I don't care about that stuff. The Blue Jays are legitimately fun. Um, Hunjin Ryu is you know if you watch the opening day start and he's using changeups and the 91 mile per hour fastballs the guys are super late on. And obviously you know the top half of that lineup is super fun. Um, the defense is really, really uh, great to watch. So um, they're both good and fun, which is a, a really nice combination. You mentioned Ryu there, man, that opening, that opening day matchup between him and Cole, like those two different styles going head to head and both being as successful as they were. I just found that matchup absolutely fascinating, like a great way to start the season. Yeah. And, and such a, you know, 
uh, rebuke of the style of baseball where, you know, everybody throws 98 up and in and then a wicked slider down and away. And Cole is probably the best in baseball DeGrom as well at that. Um, but then, yeah, to have Ryu do a, a completely different style of pitching that is very engaging to watch as well. Um, yeah, it was super fun. So kind of what I garnered from your answer is that you respect the Blue Jays, like you're a Canadian guy, you follow them, you understand kind of what their, their process is. Like you've, you've paid attention enough to know, like, you know, the rebuild they've gone through and the talent they've acquired and where they're at. But as a Yankees fan, you obviously still objectively believe the Yankees are the better team. And I agree with you. The Yankees are undoubtedly the team that more than likely will win this division. I think when I put together my projections, I said, when it's all said and done, the Yanks will probably be the best team in the AL and they likely go to the world series, but from a Yankees fan perspective, and you're clearly like a very like objective and rational fan. What do you think would have to happen to the Yankees in order for the Blue Jays to win the American League East? Uh, the Yankees pitching staff would have to not would have to not hit the way that they think it's going to, um, and the Blue Jays pitching staff would have to take a step forward. Um, yeah. I think I honestly think on offense, um, once Springer comes back. Uh, it's probably close enough to a wash. Maybe the Yankees are a little bit deeper, but not really enough to make a difference. I don't think. Um, but the, the big difference is like if Jamison Tyone and Corey Kluber and Luis Severino all come back and are pitching at like their 80th percentile outcome, I don't think the Jays have an answer to that yet. Uh, you know, because we don't know what Nate Pearson is going to be like. And even after Nate Pearson, the rotation still is, you know, Robbie Ray, uh, and roster playing and you know it, it, it just the depth isn't there mm-hmm. um but you know if this rotation for the yankees is garrett cole and jordan montgomery and we don't know what else we're doing and maybe nate pearson does come back and is really good and there was a lot of talk about what robbie ray did in the offseason to be a better pitcher so that that would be the situation is, is a, the yankees rotation doesn't play to their potential and the blue jays exceed their potential so you're saying there's a chance <laughs> there. I mean, look at the projections. There is a chance. There is a chance. You know. That's what we like to hear. Uh, it's just sticking one more here on the Yankees. Is there anything you want to see them add? Like, is there anything, any areas of that team where you look at and go, you know, as we roll through, like maybe they should look at improving this. Or do you think it's one of those things where, you know, maybe they're inclined to add something if an injury hits, but as it's presented now, this roster is kind of set. Yeah. So there are, there are two areas. The first um, I would like to see a high floor starter in the rotation. Um, so what the Yankees basically did in the off season is they assembled a rotation that I think has the highest ceiling, certainly the highest ceiling in the American league, possibly the highest ceiling in baseball. And that is like, everybody hits their 99th percentile outcome. Corey Kluber is not going to be the Corey Kluber that he was in 2016, but like can still be very good. I'm a huge believer in Jamison Tyone. Uh, maybe Herman comes back and doesn't pitch terribly like he pitched today. Um, maybe Severino comes back, but the floor of this rotation is like the basement. Like it is, it is uh, Tyone can't figure it out. Kluber is old and dusted. Uh, uh, Herman sucks. Um, so I would have liked to see, you know, someone like Masahiro Tanaka um, being brought back. Just that kind of guy that is like, He's going to throw 170 innings and be about league average ERA. And he's not going to do anything that really wows you, but puts in enough innings when you really need it that you can suffer. You know, if Jamison Tyone isn't what we think he is, then, you know, you just, you have a little bit to fall back on. Um, And then the other 
and this is a little bit more contentious among Yankee fans is like this idea of like ready lefty balance. Um, and I understand that certain fans want more left-handed hitters in the lineup. And I can see in certain situations, especially as bullpens, uh, take over more and more games. It's not a bad idea to mix up righty and lefty hitters. The problem is with the Yankees lineup is like, who are you dropping for your left for this hypothetical left-handed hitter? Like if the Yankees had signed Jock Peterson, does anyone want Jock Peterson starting more games than Clint Frazier? Cause I don't Clint Frazier has been their best hitter for the past. Uh, well, for, for the start of the season and, and was one of their best hitters last year. Are you sitting Aaron judge to put Jock Peterson in, you know, like it gets too hard at that point. It, there are questions about, you know, one of the things that I've written about is, you know, should the Yankees have signed Bryce Harper instead of trading for Giancarlo Stanton? You know, maybe that's the kind of thing that works because you would drop, you might drop Stanton in favor of Harper. Maybe that's an argument to have, but just putting a lefty in for the sake of a lefty. Um, I, I, I don't, I'm not as convinced that that is the secret sauce the way that I think a lot of Yankee fans are. Just to wrap things up here, you wrote a really interesting article, If Players Could Be Owners. And I, yeah. I really enjoyed reading through that. Just take us through sort of the process of how that came up and sort of what the idea is. Yeah, so I've, I've always really been interested in this sort of this concept of um, what are players worth? Uh, it, in a lot of ways, the way that I approach baseball is an attempt to find a more perfect understanding of what players are worth because – Mike Trout is going to get like half a billion dollars by the time he's done playing baseball. And like, he might be worth more than that. Like he almost certainly in terms of on-field production is worth more than that. So salaries are kind of capped. I think it probably like, I think the Trout contracts, you know, we saw with Tatis, Tatis did not get more than Mike Trout got and he's much younger and play shortstop. Um, and neither did Lindor, et cetera, et cetera. So I think salaries are probably capped at like that 400, 500 million ish level, which is insane in and of itself to say, but like it's capped at that. So how would you get more value as a player? Well, you would have to own a franchise and franchises are ludicrously valuable. The Miami Marlins, which no one thinks of when they think of a baseball team, uh, you know, was a net profit of a billion dollars for Loria when he sold it. Um, so I started to think, you know, this was last week when we were wondering what Lindor would sign for, like, if he could get a chunk of the Mets ownership instead of just take a take straight cash, is it worth it? And how much, how much salary would, would he have to give up uh, to, to make it worthwhile? And you start to pull it apart and, you know, MLB clubs appreciate at about 13% a year, which is pretty much the S and P. And I don't know if you guys are stock people, but like, it's pretty much the S and P 500 index return every single year, but there's almost no risk because there's only 30 MLB teams and none of them go bankrupt, you know? Um, so it was a super interesting thought exercise. It would, it's never something that would happen um, for a bunch of reasons. You can't, how, how would you trade an owner? How would you decide to tank uh, if, if a player was an owner? Um, but it was just like a fun, what would it be worth? And, you know, the, the analysis that I did, if Lindor took, you know, 1% of the Mets as they stand today, he probably comes out about $50 million ahead. Uh, over the course of the contract. So, you know, it was just a, just a fun little, we need something to write about because it's an off day and there's no point. Like we have four stories about opening day. We need another story. <laughs> so do a fun little thought experiment like that. I, I love those kind of things. Yeah. It's, it's definitely an interesting thing to consider. I know a lot of people have, I don't know if you're a basketball guy at all, but it's a big thing that people have talked about with the NBA, especially the value that players have in that league with how front facing they are and their personalities and 
because basketball players, obviously more so than baseball players, there's more personality behind that league, right? Like there's and and on- one basketball player has much more impact. Yeah. Like one great basketball player changes the franchise. Yeah. yeah. Whereas it's yeah. it's it's difficult for Mike Trout, as we've seen. Like Mike Trout, so good. Like arguably the de- first decade of his career, like the first uh, one of the best players of all time. But he's come nowhere near getting the Angels anywhere near good. Meanwhile, you know a LeBron, a Kawhi, like a guy like that can single handedly change a franchise. And then totally. you know like that's the difficult thing with baseball, right? Is it would be fascinating to see players gain part ownership, but there's so many guys. And they have, you know, there's, there's, you know, 25, 26 guys on a roster, 40 on the 40 man. And it's like, how would, how many guys would have access to this kind of thing? I think is a really interesting, like mental exercise to think about. And that's, it, yeah, that's it would cool. almost have to be like some sort of franchise tag, right? Where like that guy, like the Mets committing to Lindor are like, you are here forever. Like you said, Josh, you can't trade them. Like, unless mm-hmm. you're trading for like another guy who's a part over another team, like the whole thing would be and then do they insane, also have but... how far does it go like do they have say then in how the franchise is handled so if the blue jays for example were to offer bowen vlad the one percent thing like you suggested do they then have a say in whether the blue jays tear down the rogers center and build a new stadium somewhere else in toronto <laughs> like That'd are they involved in those too, right? discussions or is it just entirely like a financial thing and that's i think it's, it's a really cool thing to think about honestly. yeah and, and certainly like it's, it's in the article um, and it's sort of baked into the assumptions that like the guys who would get this kind of contract are Mike Trout and Bryce Harper. Like Mike Trout is never leaving the angels. Bryce Harper is never leaving the Phillies. The, the contracts are built specifically that way. Um, the, the ownership piece, like as far as like how active an owner you would be is super interesting. I tend to think like if you own 1%, um, I don't think that the owners would care. <laughs> about you um so you know it would be a very public like it's i I would imagine it's similar to the way that like Derek jeter is technically the owner like technically an owner of the marlins but like bruce sherman makes all the actual decisions and how the marlins get run um but yeah it's it's it was just a fascinating way of looking at, at the game and being like you know Francisco Lindor. And again, even after the analysis, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit more conservative on Lindor than I think a lot of people are, but like, even after the analysis, Lindor is maybe worth more than 1% of Miami of the, excuse me, the New York Mets. Um, so yeah, just a, just a fun way of looking at, at what players are worth. Could you imagine the Steinbrenner family giving up any part ownership to any really good players? Or would that just be a... No, although like I, I was in feedback that I got in the article, a lot of people said it would have made sense for Jeter to have come back and been part owner of the Yankees oh. rather than part owner of the Marlins. I imagine that uh, number one, it was in, it was way too expensive for him to do that. And number two, he kind of wanted to go do his own thing. And I think by the end of it, he was pretty tired of being Mr. Yankee. Um, but yeah, you know, the nice thing is like you get a very nice public facing um, figure for the organization. Like it's not quite the same, but Albert Pujols has like a 10 year personal services contract when he retires that like the angels pay him a million dollars a year, just to be like the old, the elder state statesman of the LA angels. So like you kind of get that. And if it's, if it's a player like Jeter that has, you know, a particular positive, uh, vibe for the fan base, um, it's probably worth it. Mm -hmm. Really good stuff. Uh, Josh, really appreciate your time today, man. Thanks for doing this. We'll catch up again uh, down the road. Yeah. Thanks for having me guys. Perfect. Thanks for doing that, man. Really appreciate it. Have a good one. Yeah. uh, Can you actually, when you cut the episode, do you want to email me a link and I will make sure it gets posted on our site? Yeah, that'd be, that'd be really good stuff. I'll make sure I send you the link, man.
Cool. Awesome. Okay. Cool. Thanks, Thanks guys. There you go. That is Joshua Demert from Pinstripe Alley. Good to get a little bit of Yankees perspective in as we head through a regular season where hopefully the Jays and Yankees are one and two in the AL East all year. I think that'd be like Josh said, they're both really entered or have the potential to be really, really entertaining teams. And I think a playoff race or a divisional race between those two teams is just like as a baseball fan, that'd just be a ton of fun to watch. Yeah, he uh, he certainly knows his stuff, and he's a very like level-headed, cool Yankees fan. Like, you know, there's there's tons of there's tons of Yankees fans. Hey, there's tons of every kind of fan that you know get real emotional and get real wacky about stuff. But Josh seems like he's watched a ton of baseball and knows yeah. definitely what to expect. He is not letting himself get too excited about three games. And <laughs> look, I, I'm going to allow myself to get quite excited about three games because I'm right. quite excited about how this weekend series went for the Blue Jays, but. If I was on the other side of that, and I, 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 I agree with him. You, you really shouldn't be getting too worked up on these sample sizes, but yeah, yeah life's short. So <laughs> let's get excited about the Blue Jays. And let's keep doing that. Uh, something we're going to be doing throughout the year here and sort of the last quote unquote segment of the podcast is three up, three down, three good things, three bad things from the week that was. I will start with the first up that we have, Cam Lewis, and that is the pitching. We talked about Julian Merriweather, how good he was. We talked about Ryu, how good he was. Zoik was good as well. But I even thought just getting the innings you did from guys like Ryan Barucki was really impressive as well. Um, we didn't get to see a Steven Matz or a Robbie Ray, yet the Blue Jays came out of a series against the New York Yankees. Again, an offense that could have been or should be one of the more feared in the American League, if not the entire MLB. The Jays came out of that really good, and I think a big, big part of that is their pitching. So my first up, wanted to give some love to the pitching. Specifically the bullpen, that's for sure. But yeah, you definitely. Merriweather, we've already talked about. Romano, great in both outings. Uh, David Phelps, another one there. Yep. Rocky, as you said, the only one uh, who had a bad go was Dolis had an ugly outing, but even yeah. then he had a good outing in his first game. So whatever you can give him a wash, like, yeah, looks like a real, and I mean, Josh even touched on this too. Like he was like, holy fuck, like the Blue Jays bullpen. Like what's that all about? Blue Jays bullpen looks really good. And that's Imagine if they still like Kirby Yates. Oh yeah, that'd be great. But uh, that's a damn shame, but yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> the, the, the bullpen does have to be, uh, it, it has to be good this year because yeah. I don't think the starters are going to be above league average. So no. they need the pen to compensate. Yeah, 100%. Uh, the second up we have? Vladdy. Vladdy, baby. He's now a little bit more of a wee man, but he's hitting like a big man. I that was a great like to see. I know, that's great, hey? Really, uh, really, really niche shit. The home run is in, was impressive. I thought he did good work at first base as well. Like the two foot off the bag plays, I saw some people whining about it a little bit, but like, he also had to deal with a rather large amount of shitty thrones, throws, and yeah. he dealt with them well, I thought. Like, Vladdy at first was pretty good in my eyes. Vladdy at the plate was solid as well with the home run. I thought that was a good, good opening series from Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Oh, yeah. He was smashing the ball hard. Like, his first ball of the season off of Garrett Cole, I think it was 114 miles an hour. Yeah, and that was like and the man. hardest hit ball Cole's given up since the StatCast yeah. era. It was uh, it was a harder hit ball than I think half of Major League Baseball teams had in 2020. That's nuts. In his first step out of the season. So, I think it's safe to say that this year will be the Vlad Jr. breakout year. My prediction in the first podcast of 1,000 OPS, I, I'm definitely feeling confident about that. The uh, the third up we have, uh, Randall Grichuk. We touched on him a little bit, didn't get too in-depth. The big hit on opening day to bring in a run in extra innings. Uh, what did you like about Randall? Oh, everything. Like, I mean, he he was their best hitter in the opening series. He went 
four for 10 with a dinger, two walks, which is a great thing because Randall doesn't usually walk. He strikes out a ton. So a homer, a double, four hits. He's got a 1300 OPS. That's awesome. Like, that's what you want to see, especially from like, he's, you know, going to be somewhere like seventh or eighth in the lineup and you get that from the bottom. Like, that's huge. And I think, quite honestly, he takes it quite personally that the Blue Jays went out and yeah. and signed George Springer. I, I don't think, you no, know, he's not like, Upset Demanding a trade. Right. Obviously he's not upset. Yeah. The blue Jays went out and signed the world series MVP, but like he, he, he's not happy that he's being poster boy as the odd man out. Right. Like he wants to play. He thinks he's, he thinks he's a good player. So like he's seems extremely focused, like, and seems like he wants to hit his way into the lineup every game. And that's a damn good thing for the Jays to have is this internal competition where everyone's like, fuck, I have to actually hit because we're not handing three spots up to whoever, just because no one's on the team. And it makes slumps like easier to deal with. Like when Randall Grichuk, who is a very streaky ball player, when he goes through a run where he's going to bat like a hundred over a 12 game set, like, you know, he's not going to be in the lineup every day for that anyway. So like, it almost won't even happen. Right. Like, you just can basically keep rotating in the hot hand with all these extra pieces that uh, you have. Um, after a weekend that saw them take two out of three at Yankee stadium, not that you want to be shitting on them, but let's get to the, the three down part of this segment. And I'm going to start first with the runners in scoring position. And like, we talked about this before we started recording, they very easily could have gotten a sweep in this series, which is crazy to think about. But in game two, they went one for 12 with runners in scoring position. Even in game three, they went one for five finding a way to drive in runs was a little bit concerning for me in that opening series. Like the runners in scoring positions thing, it's something to keep an eye on. I think. Yeah, there was, it was pretty noticeable in game two. Kluber didn't look great. He, it looked like he was kind of walking the tightrope. And if they had a, if they had a better approach, they probably could have busted the game open and knocked him out pretty quick. And same thing with game three, they had a lot of chances with guys on base. Like I think actually in the first or the second game going back, I think they grounded into a double play in the first three innings consecutively. I think it was the first two for sure. First two. Yeah. So yeah, they're, they're lucky the pitching came through quite well because you said, Oh, that could have been a sweep in favor of the blue Jays, but the offense was not great this week. Like it was, Mm. that, that was not what was really great about this series. It was more the pitching and the blue Jays they're you know, Josh said nine runs in three games. Like this is the, the, the offense is going to carry this team. So like they have to be hitting more than that. The uh, second down we have here bunting bunting. Yes. Bunting with two strikes with Danny Jansen. I don't know what that's all about. That's weird. Like I, I get going. Sure. Whatever. Fuck like move Grichuk over to third base. But are you that desperate to lay down a bunt that you're making Danny get down there and try and bump with two strikes? Like, are you really that dedicated to it? Yeah, like I, I'm not as anti-bunting as some people. Like I think I'm a little bit maybe more traditionalist in that aspect. I think there's a place for it. Like I'm still a guy who runners on first and second, none out. If it's a tight ball game in my head, I'm always kind of like, you know, it would be nice if it was just second and third and a sack fly scores one. And then you're left, you know, still with a guy in scoring position. But I do agree like with two strikes that I don't like that at all. And when it's a guy like Danny Jansen as well, like, nah, just fucking let him swing, man. Like yeah, a base hit nice. scores that run. Yeah. If you think that little of Danny Jansen's ability to drive in a guy on second base with nobody out, then pinch hit Alejandro Kirk. That's why he's on your roster. If if that's what you think, then don't give the Yankees a free out. It's hard to get out. Don't make life easier for them. Put Kirk there and let him hit. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's exactly it. And like, 
yeah, I, I think that was a great point you just made at the end there. Like, if you don't think Danny Jansen can get you a base hit or at least put the ball to the right side of the infield, never mind get a hit, like just put it on the ground towards second base and move over the runner, then like, yeah, you, you, you summed up perfectly. Why are you even hitting him in that situation? Uh, the third down, we, we'll get to this again quickly. Kevin Biggio, that was not an ideal opening series. Far no, we're not used to seeing a, a series at the plate like that from Kevin Biggio. He didn't draw a single walk and struck out, I think it was five times. And that is, that's shocking because usually with him, even if he's not hitting, like his on-base numbers are always quite good. He compensates for... I wouldn't say he's a great hitter, but he compensates for that by drawing walks. And he was not doing that this time. And that's, you know, it's three games. It is what it is, but like, you know, the entire off season, he was kind of the guy that was, people were like, like, is he that good? Like, can he handle fastballs? Like, can he like, eh. and I guess now there's a bit of an anxiety there. Like, Oh geez. Like more ammunition for that argument. Yeah, definitely. For those who are, don't believe that he's anything more than a bench bat or a bench player, not even bad, but like, just like your 10th, 11th yeah. guy, then eh, that's, that's some ammo for that argument. But again, you know, three games, whatever, we're not going to, we're not going to make overarching blanket statements about a player. <laughs> <three games. laughs> and he will have a great chance to uh, bounce back here because as you wrote in our show notes up next, they're off to Texas. And then in all caps, you wrote, they fucking suck. Uh, not a good team. Those Texas Rangers. I was looking through their roster. I'm a pretty big baseball guy. And I looked at a lot of these players and kind of went, Oh, who, what? Yeah. Uh, like apparently, apparently Brock Holt plays for the Rangers. Now, apparently Nate Lowe plays for the Rangers. Now David Dahl plays for the Rangers. Now I Charlie Culbertson plays for the Rangers. Now I, this is a weird team. Uh, I mean, the, the, the only thing you really see here is Joey Gallo who hits a ton of home runs. Yeah. Otherwise like, Holy just like walk Joey Gallo every time and sure. like deal and you know with the rest not, of the lineup. You know who's not playing for the Texas Rangers this week? Isn't it a damning statement that they're that shitty of a team and Roof Neto Door still can't crack that roster? That's unbelievable. So Roof Neto Door, now 27 years old, is out of baseball. Well, not like fully out of baseball, but he's not on a major league team. Meanwhile, Jose Bautista, when he was that age, was just about to go ahead and hit 54 home runs. I still love the, like the Rangers fans who think oh, it's like God. such a sweet ass accomplishment that Odor sucker punched him. And it's like, is that it? Like you joke about it all the time on Twitter. Like, is that all you have to be proud of? Like that's the crowning moment of the dude's career is no, like not punching just the crowning moment of the dude's being held back. Not even the crowning moment of the guy's career. It's the crowning moment of the fucking franchise history. They've never won a World Series. I've never done anything. Like the most interesting thing the Texas Rangers have ever done was be the punchline to the joke of the fucking Cardinals winning in 2011 when they dropped the ball and blew all those leads and made David Freeze a legend. And then they did the same thing a few years later with Jose Bautista. They had that hilarious meltdown. Like that's what the Texas Rangers are. They're one of those punching bag ass teams that come in and allow other teams to do amazing things because they're a joke. When Dan Zimborski told us in episode one that he thinks they were the worst, that was like instant clip it, get it out on Twitter. Cause like, Jesus, man, Jays fans hate the Rangers and understandably. So um, the Jays are going to be going with Matt Rourke and Hunjin Ryu, their ace looking at that, like Tanner Rourke is okay. That one might like take the over in that game maybe, but like having Matt and Ryu going in the series as well, like all the reason to expect the Jays are going to get two out of the three wins at least, right? Like they should win this series. Yeah. So game one, you have Matt's. It's kind of an interesting matchup in game one. You have two bounce back candidates. There's Steve Matt's and Mike Fontenievich, yeah. who's another one. He used to be pretty good. Now he's not. Matt's also used to be pretty good. Now he maybe isn't, but he looked good in spring. Uh, 
I would give the Blue Jays the edge there. I, but then again, I'm a homer and I saw Matt's pitch in spring training. So I think highly of them. Game two, I have a hard time assuming they're going to win a Tanner Rourke game. I don't know. Dane Dunning, he's uh, who the Rangers got back in the trade for Lance Lynn this offseason from the White Sox, former first-round pick. He's pretty good. Last year, put up a 3.97 ERA. Goodish young starter. And then the final game, Ryu and Kyle Gibson. That is a mismatch and a half. Like, that... The Gibson, I think, allowed... Fuck, what did he... In the first game, his, his ERA right now is 135. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just he casual. Put, yeah, he's struggling. His ERA is 135. Yeah, it's not, it's not, it's not 1.35. It is 135. <laughs> he, he, he is outing consisted of getting one out and allowing five runs. Three walks, uh, one <laughs> strikeout, five earned runs, four hits. That is good. So this is a series where if the Blue Jays do anything less than take two out of three, that is a disappointment. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, all right. Then they're going to go to LA for four. Like we said, they basically don't have a day off until April 9th, or they do not. That is a fact. They do not have a day off until April 19th. So they get four against the angels as well. That is the Dunedin opener. And it sounds like Thursday, we're going to get our first chance to see George Springer play a regular season ball game for the Toronto Blue Jays. So it'll be an exciting week. I'm like from, from an optimistic perspective, they could like beat the shit out of the Rangers three times. And then we get George Springer for Thursday. Like it could be a real fun week yeah. to be a Jays fan here. Like it, things could still be going up from beating the Yankees in weekend one. No, I agree. Like, um, you know, we're, we could end up looking really fucking stupid here, but yeah. you know, the Jays pull off a sweep against the Rangers. It's doable. Uh, and all of a sudden they're, you know, five and one, and then they do three wins and four games against the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim who aren't that good. Ooh, and all of a sudden you're going and facing the Yankees with like a, what would that be like a seven and eight, eight and two record or something. Yeah. That'd be cool. So that's my expectation. The blue Jays should be rolling into their next series against New York with a seven and three record, seven and three record. We seven will hold you. We will hold you to that. If you are wrong, cam, uh, if I'm good wrong, I will, I will lose my fucking mind. I will not be happy. You'll be like some of the Yankees fans are right now. Oh my God. Did you see the petition they had going around? No, I did not. Oh my God. So yeah, I was just like cruising around and um, I found uh, some Yankees fan made a change.org petition after game one to get rid of the runner on second rule. And they were like, after a hard fought game, this is the reason the Yankees lost to the Blue Jays in game one because they had to do. And it's like, yo, chill. Like both teams had a guy on second base and you just didn't bother to cash him in because Julian Merriweather could pitch. Like both teams had the same rules. Something like the Jays randomly got a guy on second and you didn't. So they're yeah. freaking out about that. Like to complain about it because you don't like it is one thing. I honestly, it's kind of growing on me. It's not like, that bad. No, like people are freaking out. Like the rule is the same for both teams, like you said. So like not too much for people to bitch about. Also, like, I don't know. Is it really that charming to have to like watch a game go into like the 14th yeah. inning? Like, I, I don't it's know. It's not good I, for bullpens. Like it's not good for no. arms. Like I remember there was one game. I remember this vividly because I traveled to Seattle to watch them on the road. And it was a game against the Tigers in 2014. And the game went like 18 innings. And Bautista finally walked it off because the Tigers had to put in Rick Porcello, who was supposed to start the next day. And the Jays had, I think it was, it was either Chad Jenkins or Brad Lincoln go like seven innings. And then they flew to Seattle. And so they pitched 18 inning game and they had to do like a six hour flight to Seattle. And then they get there and they get swept by the Mariners. I'm at all these games and the pitchers are all getting lit because they, every single guy pitched in that game, they're all gassed. And it's like, this sucks. Like, yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, I think it's one of those things where people make a big stink about it, but it's just almost like you don't really know what you're mad about. You're just mad that there's been change. I don't like change. <laughs> I, right. I, I can understand. Like, wait until the 11th inning, maybe, but like, yeah, I don't know. Whatever. It's not. There's plenty more to worry about than yeah. trying not to have million hour games. 100%. Uh, that's going to do it for episode two of Blue Jays Nation Radio. Shout out to our friends at Twig and Berries. That promo code again at twigandberries.ca is Nation15. It gets you 15% off. Also, if you head to nationgear.ca, we got that dome sweet dome tee. It is out now. If you enjoy the pod, support the pod. Go pick up that shirt and support the Jays while they are away from the dome. Cam Lewis, good work. Thanks for doing this. Talk to you again next week. Best wishes. Thanks for tuning in to Blue Jays Nation Radio. Don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.